beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, probably the most difficult thing that the Christian deals with is the tongue. The holding of the tongue, the constraining the tongue, the quieting of the tongue, the discernment of the tongue, which really is not a tongue issue. The problem is much deeper than that. What Jesus said with regards to the tongue is that what comes out of the mouth is coming from the heart. So the tongue is, that, is an instrument that reveals many things. Reveals the things of the heart. The things that we think. The things that we think come out in the way that we speak. And so there is much difficulty and because of the fall, man is given to being a liar. He lies. That's his character in the natural, fallen, unregenerate, reprobate state. He is a liar. His character is lies. He is one, as even the Apostle Paul says, he exchanged the truth for the lie. Eve became a liar when she believed the lie. And we often believe lies as well, and we become liars that pass on that same lie without discerning what is true and what is false. The tongue is an issue that the Apostle Paul deals with here as an expression of whether or not we have truly come to know Christ. James speaks about this of undefiled religion is that which knows how to keep the tongue restrained. You know how to use your tongue aright. The Scriptures speak about this. That our tongue is to be used to honor and to glorify God and to edify others to speak the truth. But instead, because of the sin, we speak lies. And it goes on and on. We've got to have fact checkers because there's so much lies that go on within our world. It goes on within the church. Think about this. There is a sense that we all lie every moment of every day. Why is it? Because we don't reflect God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And therefore, we tell lies about God to one another in the way that we live our lives. There is the lie. Man is more vain than vanity himself. So, Paul is going to deal with this And he he speaks with regards to if indeed you have been taught by Christ and have heard Him. Then you have put off the old man. The old man is that individual in Adam. You are no longer in Adam. But sin still remains within us. It does not reign over us. It does not rule. We have now been given the ability to fight against sin and the devil in this life. We've been given the ability by the ministry of the Holy Spirit who regenerates the soul, indwells the believer, and we have the standard of God's Word by which to live. And yet we're inconsistent, aren't we? We're growing in grace. We're partially sanctified in this life. And therefore the Christian struggle. And it's a daily struggle. It's a daily fight. If you don't have a fight and you don't have a struggle, then you're not in Christ. I don't know what else to say. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have become 
New. New standard, new love, new affection, new direction, new motion. All things have become new. They were not there when one was in Adam. Now in Christ, all of these things have come alive. And so now you struggle against the sin. And it is a struggle. It's a daily struggle. It's a daily struggle with your tongue. It's a daily struggle in making, letting your yes be yes and your no, no. It's a daily struggle in not being angry at things that are not sin. It's a daily struggle of hedonism, of narcissism, of wanting your pleasure, your desire, your rule. It's a daily struggle to put those things off and to continually put on Christ as those who are in Jesus Christ. So since you have put Him on, Paul relates this in Romans chapter 13, since you have put on Christ, he says, put Him on. What does that mean? Well, you have put on Christ at justification. When you were redeemed, Christ was put on you. And now in sanctification, put Him on every day. Put off the old manner, the old disposition, the old desires, the old affections, which are still there, beloved. Robert Murray McShane was a godly man, and he died when he was in his 30s. And he made this comment that within his heart, every seed of corruption is within him. The seed. He didn't say that everything came to fruition. But the seed of corruption, every seed of corruption, of all the corruption in the world, every seed of it is within his heart. He knew it. He understood. I don't, I'm not concerned about those individuals. I'm concerned about the ones who say, oh no, not me. You're in for a world of hurt. You're unaware of just how sinful that you truly are. But you think you're holy. You know, you're the super hyper pious individual that doesn't know and doesn't think and doesn't reflect upon the truth of God's word to know that the sin of all mankind is within your heart. And I met this guy one time. He was delivering trash. And wasn't here, another city. And he had said that, and this is a college town, right? And he had said that he no longer sins. I said, so are you telling me? I mean, is this this what you're saying to me? That you're driving around in this trash truck and all these college girls are walking around and you're not looking at any one of them and having thoughts in your mind? Well, he said, and he chuckled. Yeah, well, that ends your nonsense about thinking there is no more sin in your heart. That's called self-deception. That's in all of our hearts. And the one who understands that is forewarned. I know my heart. I know the things that I am capable of. I know what I have to guard myself from. Because it's easy to go down those avenues, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying. If you haven't learned Christ, you don't know that. You don't repent. You don't confess. You don't realize, hey, this is wrong for me. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. You don't want to say that. You, you're not in that avenue. You might be a church member. You might come to a worship service, but you're not in Christ. You're in Adam. You're not alive for the things of God. So there's no conviction of the conscience. Maria asked me once, how are people able to do the things that they do like that? Because your conscience gets hardened. 
And the more the conscience is hardened, the easier it is for them to do such atrocities. And beloved, let me tell you something. They are not monsters. They are fallen, unregenerate human beings, and they are a broken, shattered image of the true and living God. They're like us. You parents, when you're dealing with your kids, do you recognize that you are more like your kids than unlike your kids? And therefore, we need to be merciful, don't we? We need to be gracious and we need to be kind because we are more like them than we truly know. Paul speaks about this, that we are to be those constantly confessing and putting off. And beloved, let me say it, you can't do that if you're not in the Word. The only way to put on Christ is to be a person of the Word, to be filled with the Word. To let the Word of God fill you up to instruct your mind so that you might speak those truths to your heart. Paul says to put off that former conduct. And he says in verse 24, that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness, true holiness, and he says in Colossians 3, and true knowledge. Therefore. The therefore takes us back to what was previously written. That if we're in Christ, we have learned of Him, have been taught by Him, therefore, we put away lying. This is no more the conduct of the man in Adam, the old man. The new man in Christ is the truth speaker. We speak the truth. Now, we lie a lot. You come to worship... And you come and you got this plaster of Paris smile on your face. And you're going through horrendous things in your life right now. And somebody asks you, how are you doing? And you say, I'm doing fine. And you're not. You're hurting. You're struggling. And you lie about it. Because you don't want other people to know your weakness. And you think people knowing that you're weak is a weakness. And it's not. It's a strength. Because when you are weak, then you find strength in Christ. But we go about all day long trying to convince everybody else that I'm going through quicksand, but I've got a big smile on my face and all is well. No, it isn't all well. There are times when we get discouraged. There are times when depression comes upon us as the people of God. <clears throat> there are times when we're downcast. There are times when we just, we just don't feel happy. Have you been there? I've been there. I, I've visited, especially post-COVID. Especially. I visited that place numerous times. And you know what? I don't like it. And I don't have any problems saying that. I hate depression. But I know that the Lord sends that upon us at time to time. And I know the Lord has a good purpose in sending these things. But beloved, I hate it. And I lament to the Lord when I go through those bouts and difficulties. I lament and I cry out to God. So let's not lie about these things. Let's help one another. 
You know, it's, it's amazing that we only do that with regards to the church. If you went to the doctor today because you have a physical illness, what would you do? I mean, you're there, right? He knows you've got a problem. And what does he do? He asks you, what seems to be the problem? What's going on today? What's happening with you? Where is your pain? Oh, I don't have any pain. Just here because I just wanted to come to the doctor. Is that what you do? No, you, you say, it hurts here and it hurts over there. And while you're looking, it hurts on this side over here too. And you're not afraid to say that because you want healing. Well, healing in the same way spiritually. You've got to know what the problem is. What is the ailment? And then we can address it. can't address it when you deny it. Paul says that we are to be a people that stops lying. This is obviously what's going on in the life of the church. People were lying. <clears throat> there are times when we sing songs that are not consistent with biblical theology. And so we come and we sing lies. That's why we are to be discerning about the songs that we sing. Are they in consistency with the teaching of God's word? Paul says, put it away. You've got to be conscientious, beloved, that at times we all lie. Have you ever cheated on your taxes? You lied. You ever shaded the truth? You lied. How about your kids? You, you, you ever been told by your parents to do something and your parents were gone and you knew that you were to do it but you didn't do it and then your parents called and your dad says, did you get that done? And you say, oh, yeah, I did it. But you didn't do it. Then you got all about the business of having fun and with your friends and all the other things. Your parents came home and what you were to do is still left undone and immediately your dad says, what? I thought you said you did that. But see, in the moment, in the heat of it, you, you lied. Where do we find that in Scripture? We find that with Peter. Peter lied. We find with Abraham. Abraham lies. Abraham is put under the vice. Hey, it was about your wife. Oh, that's not my wife. That's my sister. Because he was afraid that something would happen to him. So he told Sarah, tell him you're my sister. And he lied. And then Sarah lied. Uh, why did you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, you did laugh. Jacob lied. Isaac lied. Rebecca lied. Rachel lied. David lied. We find lies in Scripture. From people of David as a man after God's own heart. And that is inconsistent, beloved. We need to put that away. So Paul says, put away lying and let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. You know, God's word is truth. You ever been in a situation where somebody asks you about the sovereignty of God? Does God really elect certain people and he passes over others? That certainly doesn't sound like a loving God to me. And then you start to finagle around and lie about what you truly believe because what somebody says. Beloved, we're to speak the truth. You don't have to be rude and obnoxious, but you have to speak the truth. That brings up a question. Is there ever a time that it's appropriate, that it's okay, that it's permissible for us to lie? You know, there are some Reformed theologians That'll say that. That there are times when it's permissible to lie. And they want to go to Rahab. 
about sending the spies out another way. Well, she wasn't acknowledged in the book of James because of her lies. She had faith. She was believing and trusting in the Lord. And you know what? She had just come to faith. And new Christians, young Christians, struggle with things like that. Putting off old habits. She wasn't commended because she lied. She was commended that she believed the Lord. And so we want to take that and make a doctrine out of that. Okay, let's say that that's the case. Let's say that there are times that is permissible to you for you to lie. When are those times? Do you find those times written in God's Word? No, you do not. So what happens? You become the standard. You become the one who determines when you can lie and when not to lie. Then you know what you find yourself doing? Lying all the time out of convenience. It's never appropriate to lie. I don't have to tell everybody all the information. You understand that? I don't have to tell everybody everything that I know. But I do have to speak the truth. This is what Paul is saying. Speak truth with your neighbor. Speak it straight. God's word is truth. Do you speak the word of truth to other people? Do you let the word of truth bring to bear or bring light upon conversations of other people? What happens to somebody when they die? Well, there's a whole doctrine out there of reincarnation. And reincarnation is based upon how you live in this life. So you might come back as a a badger or a skunk, or a wolf, or maybe an ant that people can step on. And that's dependent upon how you lived in this life. That's foolishness. And you need to speak to people about the resurrection of the dead. And that as a human being, you will always only ever be a human being glorified, but only a human being. The Mormons have a doctrine that you will become God. As... As man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become, is a theological statement of Mormonism. So they teach you can become a God someday. You're not going to become a God. You will always ever only be a human being. You're not going to become an angel. You don't die and sprout wings and fly away and God received one of these little angels. No, He did not. You're only ever always a human being. And the truth brings to bear upon that. You know, you can be saved in any way as long as you're consistent. No, you cannot. The truth brought to bear is that only Christ is the way to eternal life. Thus saith the Lord. And so, Paul says, we are members of one another. So we speak the truth to one another. We come to funerals and some of you... Not all of you, but some of you. Some of you here this morning, you're harmful helpers. And you're harmful helpers because you don't know the Word of God enough to be able to bring a word in due season. A word in due season is like apples of of gold and settings of silver. How sweet it is. It's a sweet word to bring to somebody going through a certain trial in their life that you bring the truth of God to bear upon that and not some colloquial expression from the world that brings no help, it just brings harm. You don't set out to be harmful, but because you're not speaking truth, 
You're speaking lies. This whole world is built upon the lie of Satan. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, John says. Not us in Christ. We are a people of the truth. We know the truth. We are instructed by the truth. We follow the truth. We are those that are slaves of the Prince of Truth, Jesus Christ. So the world, with all its lies, we've got to let the truth bear. The truth is a cleansing agent. The truth is like sea salt when you walk out into the ocean. And the salt then begins to wash and cleanse away a wound that you have. And the way that you walked in is not the way that you walk out with regards to the wound. There's cleansing. It stings when you walk in, doesn't it? But as you dwell and you wade into that water, that salt is a cleansing agent. It begins to clean and to purify. That's what we need with the Word of God. And that's what the truth does. And the truth is just simply that which accords with reality. So I tell you, hey, did you know I'm a millionaire? That's a big fat lie. It's not real. It doesn't accord with reality. Did you know I can walk on my hands from this point all the way to the back? Hey, that's a big fat lie. It doesn't accord with reality. Truth is always that which accords with reality. And so, speak the truth. Paul then moves on. Again, recognizing that if you have heard Christ. You see, these are all attributes of Christ. These are all characteristics of Christ. He is the one who speaks the truth. Paul says, be angry, do not sin. Now, this is not a command for you to be angry. It means that we ought to be angry at things that are sin. We ought to be angry at violations of the Ten Commandments. You ought to be angry with regards to abortion. But don't go firebomb an abortion clinic. You ought to be angry at homosexuality. But don't despise that individual who was created in the image of God, shattered and broken as he is. Speak the truth to him. Don't kill him. You ought to be angry at adultery and how it ruins and destroys homes. But you don't put your hands around the neck and strangle them. You ought to be angry with idolatry. But you don't kill the idolater. You speak the truth to them. You ought to be angry, beloved, at gossip and slander and backbiting and lies that tear down and create schism in the church. You ought to be angry. But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So we can be angry, but we're angry at sin, and we're to avoid sinning when we get angry. Jesus was angry. Uh, Jesus, when he went into the temple and they were selling their wares, he got angry. That's a righteous anger. He didn't kill them. He drove them out. Because don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. It's to be a house of prayer. And he drove them all out of his father's house. Jesus got angry with the Pharisees. Jesus had times of a righteous 
indignation, righteous anger. That's what we're to have. And the more that we're in the Word of God, the more that we're taught and instructed how to be angry. This is coming from Psalm 4. To be angry, but do not sin. You know, this happens oftentimes in the marriage relationships. Some of you, husband and wife, some of you in here this morning, have been angry with one another. And you have been bitter. And you have not resolved that conflict. And Paul says here, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What does that mean? It's a Hebrew expression. It just simply means to deal promptly with your difficulties. Don't let time elapse because you have the propensity not to deal with it. And then in not dealing with it, it creates bitterness within your heart. Bitterness then provides a separation in the relationship. So there becomes more and more of a coldness in the relationship because you don't deal with the issues biblically. Paul says don't do that. And there are some of you, husband and wives, that have done that. There's some of you that may be doing it right now. Stop doing that. Deal with the issues. Talk about the issues. Resolve the issues. Don't put it off for weeks and weeks where he forgets about it and then you bring it up after four or five months and he's scratching his head. What are you talking about? And you're more angry now because he has forgotten it. Deal with things, beloved. We have the Word of God by which to deal with all the difficulties and problems in our lives. If you don't, this is what Paul says, you give place to the devil. It means you give space. You give opportunity for the devil. Remember when Jesus was driven into the wilderness and the Lord stood firm and He rebuked Satan and He departed departed from Him until an opportune time. Satan is always looking for an opportunity. Schism, problems, difficulties, misunderstandings, right? We say things, we don't catch the whole phrase, you walk away, you're angry, and you know, you didn't even say that. But this is what you thought that they said, and we don't talk about it, we don't ask, we don't dialogue, we don't strive to resolve to the glory of God. You know what we want? We want our stuff. I want me to be happy. So if it takes me being angry and bitter so I can be happy, then that's what I'm going to do. That's how some of you behave. You need to repent. You need to confess that to the Lord. Don't give place to Satan. He will destroy your marriage. He will destroy the church if you allow him to do it. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't allow him to do it. Don't give him place. Put on the full armor of God and stand firm against His wiles. Because He's coming, beloved. He's coming against the church continually. Satan shows up somewhere in this world on the Lord's Day to worship. Oftentimes he's in the pulpit spewing out false doctrine. But he always shows up. Schism, dissension, false teaching, all kinds of problems in the life of the church. Gossip, slander, backbiting, throwing darts here and there. Stirring it up to cause problems in the life of the church. Don't let him. Stand firm with the full armor of God. Paul goes on and he says, look, you who stole, steal no longer. Look, there were people stealing in the congregation. Maybe you're saying right now, well, I don't steal. 
I'm not embezzling. I'm not taking things. I'm not pilfering. Let's talk about something simple. Ever go to a motel and take the pens? Well, I paid for the room. That wasn't your pen to take. But we think it's okay. Why? Everybody does it. You ever taken towels? You know, in renting a room, it wasn't so you get the towels for free as well. I've been to homes before where it says, you know, Holiday Inn on it. Something's wrong with that. All right, so normally a Christian is not out embezzling. You're not trying to break into ATM machines and such. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. Are you robbing God? Are you robbing God? Let's use first with tithes and offerings. Because you just don't give. Maybe you've over leveraged yourself and so now you don't give because you can't afford to give because you've got too many bills to pay. Well, you know what? You need to sell some of your junk. Are you robbing God because you are misusing and wasting the gifts that he has given to you? So the catechism teaches in 108. Robbing, stealing from God is a misuse and a waste of the gifts that He has given. When you're not in worship, and when you're not edifying and building up, and when you're not encouraging, and you don't strive to glorify God by edifying and encouraging other believers, you're wasting your gifts. God has called us to be those that edify and encourage and build one another up. So, Paul speaking in this way about our labor, but it has implications, beloved, and these are the things. He says, labor with your own hands. Stop stealing from other people. You know, the man who doesn't work, neither shall he eat. That ends welfare. If you don't work, you don't eat. Well, that's cruel. No, no, what's cruel is you to print money and give it to people who won't work. That's cruel. When the Lord says the person, I didn't say the person who can't work. There are those, and it is the responsibility of the church to care for those that can't work. I'm talking about people who won't work. They're lazy. And in this setting, this is what they thought, is the good life is having all the things, sitting back, taking it easy, and not having to work. And if you have to labor doing menial tasks, well, those are for slaves. That's not for the uppity people. That was the mindset. Paul says, if you don't work, neither shall you eat. So we're to labor. Now notice in our labor that the labor is not just for us. Yes, you provide for your needs. But he goes on and he says, labor working with your own hands, what is good at a good work. What is a good work? Anything that is not sinful. Yeah, a woman going out and prostituting herself, that is not a good work. That he may have something to give him who has need. Do you see people in the congregation who have need? Maybe you can come alongside of somebody and give to somebody who has a need without anybody else knowing. You're not blowing a trumpet. You're not announcing it to people. It's not in the newspaper. But there is a need the congregation gives to people who have needs. And we give to people who have needs because you give. 
So as a congregation, we see people with needs. We hear people that have needs. People with needs come to us. They talk to us. We do our due diligence and we care for them. We provide for them when they have needs. This is the Christian thing to do. And that's what Paul says. Now notice something here. It's not only about me. I'm not only looking to me. I'm not that hedonist. I'm not that narcissistic individual. I'm not self-centered. I'm not self-absorbed. I'm seeing others in the congregation who may be struggling. And I ask the question, what can I do? Lord, what can I do to help? We have so much. And yet we can give so little. Paul says, look out for other people. That's the covenant community. It's caring for one another. And lastly, he moves on about the corrupt words. This is using a horticulture uh, analogy. Speaking about fruit. You know what happens with fruit when it remains in a bucket with other fruit and one piece is spoiled? What happens to it? Over time, the whole of the bucket becomes spoiled because one was corrupt. What Paul is saying is let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Our words are to be those that are seasoned with salt. So it imparts grace to the hearers. Edification to the hearers. Uplifting to the hearers. Encouragement to the hearers. And beloved, encouragement comes at times with a rebuke. It's not saying you can't rebuke. That's encouraging to somebody who's going astray. Is that you bring a word of rebuke. Paul is saying we are not to be corruptible people. The corrupt people he speaks about in Romans 3, we also see Jesus speaking about it with regards to the Pharisees. And he says to them, you are like whited tombs. You know, outwardly you look beautiful, but inwardly you are like dead men's bones. You ever exhume a coffin? You ever open up a coffin after maybe two, three months of a body being in there and the stench that would come out of there? You ever smell a dead body? It's putrid. And that's what Jesus was saying about the Pharisees. Their hearts were like an open tomb. They were corrupt and therefore their words were corrupt. We're not to be that. We are those in Christ. We are those who put off Adam. We are in Christ. We are a new creation. We strive to edify yeah, you know, people say it today. Let me give you some constructive criticism. Oh, in other words, you just want to kill me. That's how the world is. It's not constructive. It's not edifying. There's ways that we can think about our words and how we bring them to people. So it doesn't tear them down. But he says, don't let them proceed out of your mouth. But what is good and necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. How often do you think about your speech? How often do you think about the words that roll off of your lips? You know, beloved, you know the story. person gossiped about another individual in the church. Went to their pastor. They were feeling bad. What should I do? The pastor says, take a feather and put it on the porch step of every home of the person that you gossip to. So they got some feathers, they went around, they placed them all on these homes, they came back, okay, it looked like they've accomplished something, I've got it done, I put it on all those store steps, what else is left for me to do? The pastor said, now go and gather them all up. The person said, well, it's impossible, the wind has blown them away, and so with your words. Once you shoot them out, you can't get it back. 
So how conscientious should we be about what flies out of our mouth? This, I just got to get it off my chest mentality. That's sin. Talking about things that you don't even know what you're talking about. That's sin. Striving to tear down other people. Beloved, we've all done it. I think just in these five verses, do we not see that we all need repentance? Do we not see that we all need to confess that we have not done what the Lord calls us to do? We are those that are in Christ. We have put off the old man. We are no longer in Adam. And we've acted like we've been in Adam, haven't we? We all need to confess. We all need to repent. Not one of us. All of us. Because we've all fall, fell, fallen short and fell in this area. But beloved, I have some good news. Is that God forgives. And though I fall in an area 50,000 times, God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He forgives as we come and we ask for forgiveness. We are striving to turn from things always more and more and struggling against the things of the flesh in this world. Yet God forgives. God is not a man. He doesn't keep bringing it up. Well, that, you know, that's, that's 49,000 times now. He doesn't. He keeps on forgiving and He does so because of the sacrifice of Christ alone. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, we can know that even though we struggle, and I struggle, I don't know about you, but I struggle in this life. I get tired of being in this world. I get weary of this world. And yet, I keep coming to the Lord. I keep lamenting and crying out to the Lord. And He keeps forgiving. And He keeps reviving. And He keeps encouraging with His Word. And you'll come across the text of Scripture. And it, you know, when I struggle, when I'm weak, when I'm falling down, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And that is the Lord who says, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always. Even though you struggle, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our confidence and our comfort that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So be real. Be real with yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror. Examine your heart in light of Scripture. Let the Word of God do its investigation in your heart. Even as Hebrews 4 tells us. The Word of God is sharp. It's active. It's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to discern the thoughts and intents of the thoughts of a man's heart. Let it do its work, beloved. And then be honest with yourself and bring it to the Lord. God forgives because that benefit we have because of the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what do we say? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Shall we pray?